0: Welcome to this special 420 edition of the Positive Fantastic Podcast. In honor of my imagination roots, I interviewed local cannabis farmers, Amber and Casey O'Neill of Happy Day Farms in Leightonville. The O'Neills are dear friends of mine, and I've so enjoyed getting to see Happy Day's evolution from a cannabis farm to a fully integrated vegetable and herb farm firsthand. In 2018, Happy Day won the Regenerative Cannabis Farm Award at the Emerald Cup for their inspiring implementation of diverse and holistic farming practices. On their steep and sloping property on Bell Springs Road, the couple has created a family farm endeavor that utilizes rotational grazing practices, cover cropping, hedgerow plantings for pollinators, and an array of fermented plant juices, which the couple affectionately refer to as FBJs. In addition to supporting the health of the soil where they live, they engage in stewardship practices to maintain the land. I always marvel at their operation when I visit Happy Day Farms because they have spent over a decade learning the ropes of how to create a truly sustainable farm model that can and does provide ample fresh food for their community. Happy Day offers a CSA and a farm stand, which are both feeding folks largely within a 20 mile radius of the farm. Happy Day continues to generate some of the best outdoor sun-grown cannabis this county has to offer too, which many of you know is no small feat in the Emerald Triangle where cannabis cultivation has been taken very seriously for many generations. I'm always so impressed with Amber and Casey's work ethic, community presence and joy for life. This family works very hard, pretty much all the time. When they're not in the garden, they've been known to be hard at work advocating for sustainable policy measures in the cannabis farming and regulating legislature. Both Amber and Casey have devoted an enormous amount of time to have the voice of the community be heard during the transition of the cannabis industry. When I arrived at Happy Day to record this podcast episode, Casey was deep into a policy phone call. Additionally, the O'Neills give back to their community in their free time. They intentionally grow an abundance of food that allows them to donate their surplus to the local food bank. They have been strong supporters of the EBT Market Match program, which enables low-income individuals and families to double their spending dollars at the farmer's market. By fundraising for those matching funds and growing great food that is available at the market, Happy Day is attempting to address the issue of equity of access, giving opportunities for seniors and those on government food aid to afford eating really well. In my own time of need, after my house burned down, Amber showed up at my mom's place where I was staying with boxes of produce and jars of weed. Their generosity amazes me. I don't know two people who are living more in service to their community. And while farming isn't always an easy job, I marvel at the graceful way that the O'Neills have navigated a right livelihood through their farming lifestyle. To me, Happy Day Farms embodies a great success, whereby these local farmers are investing their sweat equity into nourishing their community. In this podcast episode, I asked Amber and Casey to share about how they have succeeded and what they have learned along the way. The conversation that follows is a retrospective of their decade-plus farming the same site, reckoning with their access to land, the struggles to maintain mental health amidst the daily grind of farming, and their development of a family farm enterprise with healthy communication. I hope that you'll enjoy this special 420 edition, live from the heart of one of Mendo's homegrown weed farms.
1: I want to play in the sun today, I want to smoke some weed, I want to play in the sun today, I want to smoke some weed, some weed, some weed. I wanna smoke some weed, some weed, some weed. I wanna smoke some weed. I wanna play in the sun today. I wanna do all the things. I wanna play in the sun today. I wanna do all the things. The things. The things. I wanna do all the things. The things. The things. I wanna do all the things. I wanna play in the sun today. And I wanna dance and sing. I wanna play in the sun today. And I, wanna and sing, and and I wanna dance and sing. And dance and sing. I wanna dance and sing. And dance and sing. I wanna dance and sing. I wanna play in the sun today. And I wanna feel so free. I want to play in the sun today, I want to feel so free, so free, so free, I want to feel so free, so free, so free, I want to feel so free.
0: Welcome to this 420 edition of the Positive Fantastic. I'm Maureen Atura and my guests today are Amber and Casey O'Neill from Happy Day Farms. I'm really excited to have you guys both be here today to share about your journey as farmers and I think I'm going to let you introduce yourselves and talk about how we know each
2: other. We got to know each other as students at the Yerba woman herb school at Motherland, and then we got to work together as teachers at the herb school for a couple seasons. Maybe we did two apprenticeship rounds together as helpers under Donna DeTerra, which was so sweet. I miss those times getting together for once a month, nine months so fun. in a row, and getting to do all of our kitchen witching and hanging out with the ladies on the land yeah and then it's been nice to keep in touch with you over the years, and thanks for coming to visit us,
3: yeah, after Amber and I got together, you were introduced as one of her treasured friends, and um it's been very much a joy to see you know your process, especially growing into you know your authorhood and um, it's uh, it's a joy to be in community together.
1: Oh, thanks, guys.
0: You're so sweet. You're really living the dream in a lot of people's eyes on this integrated cannabis and vegetable farm. You've got medicinal herbs and trees and you're on this beautiful hillside looking out over Mendocino County. Um, You wanna share what that's like for people that would love to be in your shoes?
3: Uh, It's a lot of work, it's a lot of fun. Um, We're into our second decade. Uh, (laughs) This is our 11th season of CSA and market farming
0: congratulations it's it's
3: yeah it's you know the old like ten thousand hours makes an artist i've been thinking about that a lot lately like you know farming and and managing and stewarding a piece of land is is a lot like um maintain is maintaining a craft you know being an an artist or participating in an art form and as your time and process deepens it becomes this this very powerful set of interactions, this um, this journey, and so this you know we really feel like this year, and to a certain extent, the last couple of years has been that way. But we really are, are starting to hit hit a stride that is um, potent, and and we're starting to have the equipment, have the knowledge, and the you know kind of the the operating mechanics of our microclimate, which is that I think is one of the most important things about. Farming about land management is being in a space long enough to know how the seasons operate what what you're likely to experience, how to adapt your equipment to that,
2: yeah, and we're super privileged to be living on Casey's family's land, and we are the the third generation coming up on this land, and it's super steep and rugged and arid in the summer. But we've been able to carve out a lot of beds. You know, we started by hand carving out terraces by hand, Um, and then we would rent a mini excavator, hire a mini excavator for like the last five terraces that we used to grow commercial cannabis in. But everything else is pretty much done by hand,
3: and kind of a mix of hugel culture. A lot of deep, like deep compost. We used to do a lot of double digging, a lot of John Jevons style uh, uh, intensive cultivation. And so we still run like a very rapid, rapid rotation, kind of minimal footprint. Um, at, you know, there's times where we think to ourselves, like, oh, well, you know with with a bigger, broader, flatter space, might do some different things. um but as it is, you know it's so steep, we've had to fight so hard for every inch of bed space that um, it's our whole production methodology is geared towards rapid rotation, multiple croppings out of each bed every year, uh, a lot of interplanting to try to maximize the space, like you know, for example, things like, scallions planted in between the squash so that as the squash plants get bigger the scallions come out um a lot of basil with the tomatoes you know kind of some of those classic ones and then carrots
2: love tomatoes
3: yeah and also a lot of like mix and match between head lettuces and bigger brassica or asian greens and bigger brassica that i can you know things that can be harvested either in succession or in rotation so that we're you know we're trying to always keep something growing in the soil to keep um a, you know to maximize the production out of the bed space but b to maximize the opportunity for the soil microbiology to be able to to, to access the root exudates from growing plants and so it's definitely you know building living soil starting on a place that had been you know ranched and and um and logged pretty hard and yeah overgrazed and logged over the the decades and and so essentially starting with very very poor soil on a very steep slope and over the years you know bringing in compost and and making our own compost and and seeing the a lot of cover crops and a lot of cropping and and seeing the the soil just become richer and richer and that's been a, a just a very potent experience of you know, kind of that replication of process where you see yourself really um, deepen into something and you know back to that that kind of craft or that art form of the the land sort of giving back what you're putting into it and and you you start to get this feeling of like, whoa, it's working um we also do so we do a lot of rapid rotation vegetables, uh, single season cannabis crop, and then um, poultry rotations, chickens. Uh, we started doing turkeys last year which was awesome uh and so with the the animal rotations we're doing a lot of pasture management and so trying to build pasture rotational grazing uh maximum disturbance for minimum time and we we're seeing you know we we're walking around today and looking at the results of of eight years of pasturage and like there's a stark difference between the surrounding area that hasn't been pastured and the spaces that we've been running animals on and so uh, again kind of that that replication of like wow you see this is this is working." working but yeah and and that feels really good
0: i'm curious how you guys have found ways to thrive as farmers it's a really hard job and you do it with a lot of grace and uh for those that don't know one of the taglines or the kind of mantra of happy day farms is great success. and so i wanted to ask what the key is to your great success.
3: It's been interesting to grow into because when you work where you live and it's a broader family enterprise you have to learn how to be very clear in your communication so that you can sort of create a basket that that honors the goals and desires of everybody working on the project and it's really really easy for you know especially it's like if somebody ends up in a leadership position it's easy for them to kind of run roughshod and so there's been times where you know I end up in a leadership position and and I'm not taking into account the needs of the other people in the project and so it's I think that the number one strength that we've been able to develop over time is communication and it's also still one of the things that we struggle with because it's um it's a shifting landscape you know you're working long hours a lot of the time there's there's um so many different things happening with the various enterprises between the food production the cannabis production um the different value-added stuff you know farm stand yeah livestock farm stand csa market and so trying to balance all of these things and and um, again maintain communication so that the roles are defined so that everybody knows what they're going to be doing what's expected of them and we've been able to identify the the holes in the plan and so every year it gets a little better you know we're we, as role shift, you know it was interesting when Mama passed. We had to really reconfigure the whole thing, and you—it's kind of the old cliche of like you don't know what you have until it's gone. Where you start to realize like all of the little things. And so, for instance, last year Pop stepped into making team team meals, team lunches, and it was it was you know last year with with COVID we had a huge ex, explosion in demand for produce. Um, we were we were understaffed we were working really really hard and pops putting together team lunches was kind of the glue that kept us together because otherwise we would have just been going in separate directions to eat cheese and crackers you know so it was really a, that was an opportunity for like a team check in for everybody to come together put a hot meal in their bellies and then go back out to to keep going with the work so uh, to a certain extent like that's what that was one of the critical pieces that got us through this last year and so now we're going into 2021 with this opportunity to really we we've really revised our prep and our planning systems and so we've got a much clearer picture of what we're trying to do this year. We're not expanding like last year we were putting up new tunnels for vegetables and stuff and so this year we're really in a position where going into the season it feels very good. It feels kind of settled. It feels like we're hitting a rhythm. Uh we're going to kick off the CSA tomorrow in a couple of days and so getting you know really ramping back up to full speed production and and that's always a little tricky in the in the spring you know you're coming back out of what is hopefully some downtime in the winter and so the the body has to get back in into action the farm pieces have to get you know revamped and revitalized so it it definitely there's a lot of there's a lot of challenge to it, but it's in that time of year where where hope springs eternal, so you really can like sink your teeth into it
2: yeah. When you live where you work, the work is never done. But it's been nice to really work as a family to create balance between life and work and to have such a beautiful winter, to have some downtime. We've got quite a bit of snow and so just like try to get together for meals and puzzles and movie nights. Um
0: to regenerate rejuvenate
2: yourselves for the next year yeah it's nice to just spend more time together not working in the winter time because in the summer it really is so much about accomplishing
3: farm tasks
2: homestead tasks
3: yeah that that work-life balance is exceptionally difficult to maintain and at times we've done fairly well with it you know one of the things that really works for us is to schedule one weekend a month that we're off farm um and then this this year we have a clear goal of everybody getting at least one day a week off and like last year that was not a thing there you know there was months in a row where there weren't any days off and and you know you you hit a point where you're just so deep in the grind that you can you can keep grinding it out but you at a certain point you start to lose the enjoyment of it and there there becomes kind of an edge to it and so this year we're really like, committed to maintaining a better work-life balance and, and to be able to say, like, hey, that work's going to wait because we're not doing it today. And we'll, you know, with it, we'll see how it goes. It's always, because it, part of it, and I think about this a lot, this question of work, vocation, calling, what you do because it brings you joy. Like, where's that line? Like, we're kind of taught that, like, work is something that you do that you don't really want to do, but you have to do it because you need money. and farming is there's a lot it's kind of like it gets in the blood it's a calling and so you do it because you have to do it and and part of having to do is that you want to do it but you also like you it's it's hard to not do it and so i I think about that a lot in terms of well like if i want to go out and do this on sunday afternoon then it you know and and so trying to find that balance and, and essentially it's it's recognizing when you're worn out and you need more sleep or you need to take some time off when and and i think about it a lot in terms of you know, I try to hold the question in my head, like, am I bringing my best and highest self to my interactions? Because you can see when you're not. If you ask yourself that question, it's really easy to say, like, oh, no, I am not right now. And if the answer is no, what do I need to do to address that? So that's something that I've been really trying to to hold space for. And one of the things that we're implementing this year is is morning team check-in. And so whatever time we've set for a start time... We show up we all show up on time, you yeah, know it's like a lot of times stoner time we kind of it's whatever, and so now this year we're really trying to be rigid is the wrong word, but it's also the right word because structure yeah when you have structure, when you have clear planning, it creates the freedom for operation within it that feels free and so with and and without that, it feels unmoored and people don't know what's going on and and that creates stress and so we're really trying to be very. You know, A, to have a a personal individual check-in in in the mornings, how are you doing? And go around the circle and and really sort of instruct ourselves as a team to like on your way to team meeting in the morning, ask yourself, how am I doing? And be able to answer it honestly in a way that gives your team members the information for how they're going to operate in the day. And so that way, you know, for instance, if somebody's on the first day of her cycle and, and she's having a hard day, we can address that and we can we can accept that. If somebody's hurt a shoulder or somebody, you know, that if somebody's not able to operate up to top performance, we can be aware of that and create that that space for that. And by the same token, if somebody's feeling fucking great, then we can really roll with that. And that creates a, you know, so it's it creates the opportunity to hold space when people are struggling, but also to really recognize and, and gather in when people are doing well. So um, starting the day with quick check-in, quick stretching and then a clear this is what the plan is for the day and and we're really having to learn to to be very clear and on top of our planning and and that's one of the things that's interesting is like as we get better at what we're doing we have a solid team this year it gives us the ability to accomplish more than we've been able to in the past which if you're the team leader, means that you have a whole lot more management to figure out and you have to be two steps ahead and staying on top of it. So it's, there's a heck of a learning curve to it. But you know, looking back at the trajectory over the last 10 years, it's like, wow, it's, we're really, we're, we're starting to get this figured out. Like this is how we do things. And we know how we do things so we can articulate them clearly. So then we can go out and do them.
0: Today, when I arrived, we all went on a hike around the land here to situate ourselves into this beautiful location on Bell Springs Road in Laytonville, before we began the interview. We made our way through meadows, visited a local waterfall, and watched the unfolding of the landscape to really arrive here and see the paradise that you guys have the privilege of tending to.
3: You know, there's there's something about settling into a place and you know, for me, this is this is home. This was always home. Like I've lived in other places, but this was always home. This is where I came back to. And so, when I you know, I came home from school and I and I settled here and built a cabin and became a farmer, it, part of that process was this settling into this land in a in a different way. And and the slope that we're on, we've always kind of thought of it as like it's kind of analogous to the Giving Tree, where when I was a kid. There was all kind of dead manzanita that i broke up for firewood that i sold and then as we got older you know we had these little patches and we grew cannabis in the woods and then as we moved into farming and i met amber and you know we started to build these terraces and and really get into production farming the land offered that to us as you know so it's it's the giving tree and um you know today when we took you know we walked around today with you maury and and we Went out to the waterfall. It's and it's it's flowing because it's winter. It doesn't doesn't flow so much in the summer. But right now the land is you know it's it's late winter, almost spring, and everything is starting to green up, and the the water is flowing, and everything is soft, and the fertility is starting to spring out, and and you know it was kind of interesting on, on the walk. Like we kept observing all these different things, and we saw an owl fly up and we saw this the hawk flying and the ravens and just the the different interactions with the the species who also call this land home and and really thinking and reflecting about the responsibility of stewarding that and trying to to foster that and when you you know farming is a is a you you change the land you interact with the land in a in a deep way and it's very easy to slip into a hubris with that and uh you know there's the sort of the 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 colonizing mentality and it's been interesting to to think you know because there was a time where in my mental thoughts when i was putting in new beds i was thinking to myself i'm colonizing this space and really in the last couple of years starting to unpack that and realize how much there is there and how intense that is and trying to really try to find balance with with the land with the history of the land with the history of settlers and and the horrific things that have happened and and still i mean you know it's kind of like like opening the taking the first step on a journey you know where you can see that okay this is a direction that we're trying to figure out how to go in but there's still such a long way to go to unpack that and and but really just trying to shift that mind state from this sort of hubris of of i'm engaging with the land in a dominant way that allows me to do whatever i want as opposed to really trying to to, to foster and support the land
2: yeah, land. <laughs> work with nature's seasons and cycles Yeah, it was interesting on our walk to the falls, walking on trails and thinking like, were these native people's trails? Have these been, are these deer and native people's trails that we're still walking on? Is this how they move across the the land?
0: I really appreciate you bringing forth the history of this land. I believe that more than ever, it is our time to reckon with, acknowledge, and move forward with how we can make reparations to the land and the people that live sustainably in California for so very many years. In making tangible the real history, we open up the conversation for real growth to happen. It's a much larger conversation than we can truly address in the scope of this one podcast episode, but I believe that it touches on a truth cord that needs to be heard more often. Namely, the land that we believe is a paradise was carefully tended and honored and revered in ways that we need to give credit to. Climate chaos is a modern issue that has its roots in colonialism and the fallacy of white supremacism. And moving forward, the more that we bring these issues up into the light, the clearer that we can be about how to possibly heal something as dark as the genocidal methods that are the very foundations of the United States of America.
3: Yeah, you know, I think a big part of it is trying to create the space to allow for what happens next and and you know there's the element of of creating the space for for the grief to happen for what has been and and to try to figure out like what does post-colonization look like and i you know it's something that we're it's work that we're committed to that we're not entirely sure how to go about and and to a certain extent that's that's life you know you and and so if you can recognize and, and, and sort of call in what you're, where you're trying to go and and setting the intention, then um, you, you can arrive there. And so it's, and it's been, you know, an evolution that, that really has happened over the last year to two years. And, And so it's, it's part of this, I think this cultural recognition, this societal recognition that we're starting to be able to to call out the past and and try to figure out how to address it and it's also kind of one of those things where like how do you make amends for genocide like i you know and so it's it's so big that it's it's hard to know where to start and one of the things that that has really come home for me is trying to figure out how to how to care for the oaks um, and especially looking around the landscape and seeing that there's a lot of old oaks and there are very few young oaks, and and trying to figure out how to, you know, plant acorns, how to get them up and going. We've had trouble with, um, with with deer and and pigs. Like you know, we planted a whole bunch of acorns one year, and the pigs came through and rooted them all up. Mm-hmm. So it's it's you know it's a learning curve. It's a process that that we're committed to stepping into. Um, and i think looking at the landscape and seeing the difference now and it it go it does go back to that like sense of place and time and, and seeing in my lifetime how different this land is from when when i was born and and in a in a hotter drier climate this place is richer greener more abundant and so the seeing the increase in biodiversity seeing the Um, support for the populations that were you know the 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 deer the rabbits um, the raptors seeing the pre-existing ecosystem be able to thrive while also offering the abundance to us for our for our efforts and, and to be able to earn a living and and be be family in community here is is a very powerful thing and it's also a A tremendous privilege you know the opportunity to have land access and to be able to work the land is something that is is so rare that it's it's something that that you feel gratitude for and you also feel uh, feel humbled by feel you know that that like what what have i done to deserve this you know and 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 then you, you get back into that question of privilege and unpacking um the you know the colonization that has happened in the past, and all of those things are so interrelated that you you try to figure out how to how best to give back, how best to address, and um, it's it's a continuing process
2: so we started our cSA in two thousand and ten. I think we had initially six full season customers who were supporting us, who yep. you know neighbors who really wanted to see us become vegetable farmers for the community. And that's grown over the years. We're in our 11th season now. And there have been some winters that were super warm that we just ran the CSA through the winter. But I feel like for life-work balance, we're trying to take a few weeks off in the winter, for sure, from vegetable production. But we've got some special orders that support us year-round that we're just super thankful to have that support. And then our tiny little farmer's market in town pretty much runs year-round also. So at any point that we want to sell um, produce on the market table in town, we can do that too. And then there's a thriving little renegade market on the mountain for the summertime. But with COVID last year, we kind of pulled back from going to in-person markets and tried to set up, a farm stand so people could have contactless access to produce, and so we got the farm stand going last year. And it was really a great success. We had a great, um, great feedback from the community and support from the community there. And some other family members were able to put goods in, baked goods, bread and cookies, and canned goods and stuff. So it was really quite a family endeavor. So we're going to be doing that again this season. Um,
0: that's on bell
2: springs yeah we'll be keeping yeah we'll get the farm stand on bell springs going in april and we'll probably keep that going and through october and yeah we'll just see how that goes for the winter but i think from now on out we'll be having a permanent farm stand up here on bell springs road and i love to do cut flowers cut flowers is like my my real joy in life so um, i'm trying to bring flowers to market for at least six months of the year then we do raise livestock but mostly that's just for family consumption we've only sold a few birds i think going into selling meat for other people is not what i want to do it's not really like our land capacity can't really hold it and my karmic capacity isn't really there either it's so much emotional work spiritual work raising livestock and it's super important for me and our family and what we eat but I can't really take that on for other people to like but um We've been raising a lot of food, and and really this year our goal was to plant a lot of extra food to be able to donate every month to our local food bank and try to keep fresh veggies happening in the food bank. And also to have like plenty to donate to other fundraisers and causes and the elders' lunch. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, try to plant extra to be able to give it away.
3: It's been interesting, like the difference between produce growing and and raising livestock in terms of you know there's a lot more forgiveness in vegetables and you know if if, you know you have a crop failure you're you're bummed but you didn't like you know if you have a chicken that died that's a whole different set of feelings and when you harvest broccoli you don't have the same feeling as if you shoot a pig and so there like amber said really grappling with like what is the threshold of death that we're capable of managing and um like I, you know I, I don't want to i don't want to slaughter so many animals that i become hardened to it and and i think that's kind of a natural response and for me it's it's very very important to be able to sit with it and and hold space for it and to reflect on it and just give kind thanks. of yeah to give thanks and and there's this there's this dichotomy to to animal, you know, animal husbandry, to this process of of loving something, of raising something that you are going to kill, and um, you know, I, I see there's a, there's a lot of discussion around this, you know, and, and there are a lot of folks who think that, that, that that's a that that's a, a contradiction. That you can't actually love something that you're going to kill and so I, I sit with that a lot and i you know i and the whole goal is to try to um give the livestock give the animals the opportunity to express themselves in their natural you know in the, in the way that they would um if, if they were you know not being raised and so to try to avoid confinement when possible you know when the weather's bad they need to stay in but in general to give them you know give poultry opportunity and access to pasture give pigs the ability to forage under oak trees and find acorns and and really to try to to give them the best lives that they can have with what is the inevitable result
2: just one bad day Um, (laughs) Live their best lives with one bad day that's kind of how i think about it mm -hmm.
0: thank you so much both of you for being guests on the podcast today and for having me out to your land and for taking me on a great hike and for being so awesome.
3: Such a pleasure.
2: Yeah. Thanks for coming to visit us. Yeah. Thanks for sharing our story. Appreciate you.
3: Yep. Much love and great success.
0: One of the truest issues the young farmers are facing these days is how to have the privilege and access to land so that they can farm. In the past month, I had a friend come to visit who talked about how her mother has what is called an allotment in England so that she, for a nominal fee, can farm on public land. This concept has also been applied in countless other countries, including Russia, where the government sponsors dashas, or garden spaces, for dashniks, or gardeners, to be able to grow their own food. Access to healthy, fresh food today feels like a basic human right, and the more we are all able to prioritize connection for everyone to right relationship with the land, the better we will all be. I feel that this is a truly important issue to our time, and that the more we move forward connecting with food, the more opportunities we have to really, really be healthy people. I offer up these sounds of the flowing creek at Happy Day Farm for your enjoyment. May the sounds of spring quench us as we navigate a drought year here in California. And remember, if you light up, make sure to practice extra fire safety caution outdoors this year. Tending to fire in responsible ways is a great success we all need to support. Tuning into this episode of The Positive Fantastic. I'm Maureen Natura, and you can reach me by checking out my website, morinatura.com. You can read my blog about upcoming author events or sign up for my email list to stay up to date with the content that I create. If you go to slash The Positive Fantastic, you can link directly to any of the podcast episodes that have already been published and see short summaries about what each episode is about. I'm on social media, and you can follow me on Facebook on my page, Mori Natura Author, and you can follow me on Instagram at author Mori Natura. Check out my channel at youtube.com slash MoriNatura to see a video of Casey and Amber walking their Cooney Cooney pigs home after a day of eating acorns under the oak trees at Happy Day Farms. I wrote a featured article about Happy Day Farms after I interviewed Amber and Casey last year that was published in the fabulous local magazine, Word of Mouth, for their Spring 2021 edition. You can read the article online at wordofmouthmendo.com or pick up a copy of the magazine for free around Mendocino County. You can also find out more about Happy Day Farms by checking out their website, happydayfarmscsa.com. For email inquiries, send your message to happydayfarms42 at gmail.com. On Instagram, you can check out the handles at happydayfarms and at amber.happydayfarms. Casey O'Neill also has a Facebook profile you can follow where he documents life on the farm. This ninth episode of the Positive Fantastic has been brought to you to celebrate the NorCal holiday, April 20th, 420. I hope you'll enjoy us all on the next full moon when I interview a local fairy who has planted hundreds of fruit trees in the hills of inland Mendocino County. Cheers, and may your journey always be fantastic.